Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about best friend of the show, President Jimmy Carter. So grab your North Star. And let's get civical. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I am, of course, Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Wallentowski. And today... uh, Yo. You know, first of all, we're recording this on President's Day, which was not (sighs) intentional. No, not intentional. Just one of those happy accidents. Yes. We also obviously did not plan to do this episode until what two days ago? I forget when mm-hmm. when the news when the news hit. And yeah, you know, there's not even like any like fun intro I can do. Like we're just gonna talk about Jimmy Carter mm-hmm. today and give Jimmy Carter the space and um, love and adoration that we feel for him yes. that he deserves. Yes. Because, you know, we are nearing, we're, we are nearing curtain call and that's tough. It's tough. And that's tough. It's tough. Because aside from being just a cute, adorable old man, he did mm. a lot of really good things. Yeah. And tried really hard to do many other good things. Yeah. Fumbled a few things, but then spent the yes. rest of his life doing good, wonderful things. Yes. And absolutely leading other people through his organization, the Carter Center, to facilitate goodness around the world in many ways and also did stuff at home to help people in his own community. So I feel like he is he should be every former president's North Star Mm -hmm. on what you should do after being president. 
Yes. Like he's he's the standard. Like yes. on a scale of one to Jimmy Carter, what mm-hmm. are you doing with the rest of your life after being president of the United States? Yes. He's the example. He basically, he basically went back to doing what he did before he entered politics, which is right. like working in the community. That's how mm-hmm. he started. Mm-hmm. Oh. James so Earl Cole Jr., we love him. This episode mm-hmm. is dedicated to, I would call, I would say Jimmy Carter is like the first best friend of this show. Oh, absolutely. Like, he's the first friend that the show ever designated as a friend. And, you know, however much, like, longer he has, for those of you who don't know, he's entered hospice care. So He is 98 years old. He is 98 years old. Um, So we... I obviously expect for him to not be around with us much longer. It might be in weeks. It might be before this episode airs in a couple of days. But regardless mm-hmm. of what happens, it is not about his death. Is it about? It's about his life. His life. Yes. That's what we're going to talk about today. Yes. The ultimate biopic biopic of President Jimmy Carter. So before we jump into all of the stuff. Let's talk about the sources. Lay them on me. So we've got some some new sources. So we're t- some stuff from the Carter Center. Nice, of um, course, of course, which is Jimmy Carter's uh, center that he started. And we're going to talk about that. The Miller Center out of UVA okay. and the White House. Obviously, obviously, obviously. <laughs> I just. Like, this has nothing to do with Jimmy Carter. But, like, I imagine being in, like, a verbal spat with somebody and them being like, who are your sources? And me saying, the White House. (laughs) (laughs) The White House. The White House. Heard of it? (laughs) Thewhitehouse.gov. A great source. Very, very good source. It's a great source. All right. So let's start off with Jimmy Carter's early, early years. So much of this is coming from the Carter Center itself. James Earl Carter Jr., otherwise known as Jimmy Carter, the 39th president of the United States, was born on October 1st, 1924 in the small farming town of Plains, Georgia, and grew up in the nearby community of Archery. His father, James Earl Carter Sr., was a farmer and a businessman. His mother, Lillian Gordy Carter, a registered nurse. He was educated in the public schools of Plains, attended Georgia Southwestern College and the Georgia Institute of Technology, and received a Bachelor of Science degree from the United States Naval Academy in 1946. I didn't know he was in the Navy. How crazy is that? I did not know either. And he had, like, a big career in the Navy. I know. I know. I feel like this is one of those things where people who, you know, are listening and they're like, "Uh, yeah, duh. And I'm like, sometimes you just miss big facts. I don't know what to tell you. You're just focused on the peanut farm. Like, I can't. Sometimes you're just apologize. I won't apologize. Sometimes you live in the world where Creed is the lead singer of the band Creed. And that's just the world you live in. And that's the world you live in. In the Navy, he became a submariner, serving in both the Atlantic and Pacific fleets and rising to the rank of lieutenant. Chosen for the nuclear submarine program, he was assigned to Schenectady, New York, where he took graduate work at Union College in reactor technology and nuclear physics 
and served as senior officer of the pre-commissioning crew of the Seawolf, the second nuclear submarine. Like you he's a badass. <laughs> you mean to tell me that our our best friend, James Earl Carter Jr., is a nuclear physicist? <laughs> I, that's what I read. That's what I read out of that. I had that's no what I read. idea. That so he has impressed. expertise in nuclear physics? No, I had no idea. So impressed. Go off. Mm. Go off. On July 7th, 1946, he married Rosalind Smith of Plains, Georgia. Can I just say, I mean, it won't be after we get married, but currently mine and Kyle's anniversary is July 7th. What? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. July 7th. Right after July. It was it, it's it's the first it's our first date where we Aww. went and saw the film Midsommar um in theaters, which if you haven't seen that film, it is arguably the worst possible movie you could ever see on a first oh. date. And he and I were so traumatized that we had to kind of walk around Brooklyn afterwards and we tried to find a place to get a drink and nowhere was open. And then we were like, should we just go? home and then we went to we left separately and went home and somehow are getting married later this year (laughs) oh my god wait i had no idea that that was your first date story that's amazing yeah it was like that's amazing we started because we both really like scary movies and the director of midsommar did hereditary which is a great Scary oh movie starring Tony Collette. Oh Very my god. disturbing, but like oh my god, but but kind of traditionally jump scary while being like really really weird. So we were a pro, I, I, and I suggested this movie because I'm psychotic. So I was approaching <laughs> this movie being like, it'll be fun, it'll be scary, it'll be good. Like a good scary film is up until recently hard to come by. Like scary movies are having a renaissance finally. Right. So. I was like, this will be great. And we can like canoodle and it'll be fun. We start the movie. We're like holding hands, you know, maybe kissing a little bit and like kind of snuggled up by the end of the film. And I know that our viewers or our listeners can't see us, but just for you, Arden, Kyle and I were literally like not t- <laughs> like as far away from each other, as far away as humanly possible, oh not touching, not speaking. It is so disturbing. It's also about like a couple whose relationship breaks down. Yes. It yes. is so bad. It is such it's a bad. So- I mean, it's a great film. It's very disturbing, yeah. but it's such a bad first date film. Uh, but yeah, July 7th, July oh 7th, God. 2019. Oh. Kyle and I began the journey and good for you same way and, and i bet i bet jimmy and Ros- rosalind have a very uh similar story I i'm bet. i'm sure i'm sure i'm yeah. sure they went to go see a horror movie and the i can absolutely see jimmy carter taking his soon-to-be wife his sweet rosalind carter his sweet <laughs> rosalind carter to a horror flick on the first yeah. date i have a hereditary story that if i have not told you i will tell you off the air because it's okay We'll intense say, we'll and it. a bit much. We'll put a pin in it, but we'll pin it. I, we'll pin it for I, look, listeners. You don't get you don't get everything. No, you don't get everything. I, Arden and I have private conversations that you don't get to hear, <laughs> and I'm sorry. And I'm sorry. It's a shame, oh but we have God. a relationship outside of this podcast. <laughs> it's really it's it's an affront. I'll just say it was one of it is the scariest movie I think I've ever seen. Mm. And I like. Caroline and I watched it together, and it was one of the most traumatic experiences of our relationship. Wow. Just, that movie wow. is 
so good and so freaky and so weird. When she like crawls across the ceiling. <gasps> I saw it in theaters in a, in a packed no. movie theater in Union Square, which is for some reason where I see all of my profound films. Like, right. and it was with my ex boyfriend, and we saw it together. When she climbed, climbed across the ceiling, oh. everybody was like, because <laughs> it's so subtle, and it's so but, subtle, but it's so impactful. Oh my! Anyways, God. this is not a, this oh is not God. a podcast about scary movies, although fun. This is about yeah. Jimmy Carter. Circling back to Jimmy Carter, we share the same anniversary. He he's married Rosalind, formerly Smith, now Carter, mm-hmm. in 1946. When his father died in 1953, he resigned his naval commission and returned with his family to Georgia. He took over the Carter Farms and he and Rosalind operated Carter's Warehouse, a general purpose seed and farm supply company in Plains, Georgia. So it's literally like his father died and it's this op- this family obligation of now I have to go and run the family business. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. matter that I have a naval career that I'm excelling at and that I've studied nuclear physics. No. And submarine warfare, which by the by, to me, because you can, there's like several different things in the Navy that you can do. And anybody who chooses submarines, I'm like, oh. you and I are not made of the same stuff whatever he and i are made of it is not the same it's but i i i I mean somebody's got to go live below the water yeah i I mean i understand the need for submarines yes and to be clear anybody who is currently or has formerly served in submarines you have my utmost respect like i don't i cannot even imagine mentally disciplining myself enough to handle a submarine, like the no. environment of a submarine. You can't even put me on a United Airlines flight and you're going to put me in a submarine? I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think have so. You, have you ever been on a submarine? I think I have. I, so when I was younger, I remember going and like touring battleships as far as like like a part of like some sort of maybe Girl Scouts or whatever program. Or maybe yeah. when I was, on, I was in the problematic Indian princesses program. Maybe that was when I did it. I also have an uncle who's in the Navy. Wait, what is the Indian princess? Wait, I talked about this. I talked about this problematic. Yes, I have. Okay. So when I was younger, I was a part of the Indian princesses, which is kind of like, uh, I don't know. It feels like it's like an organization like the Girl Scouts. It definitely, it cannot possibly still exist. But the, (laughs) the program is where dads and daughters... Like, go camping and bond. So we, like, it was, like, you know, I think it's based on, like, also area. But, like, you have a tribe. Like, I was a part of the Shoshone tribe. Oh, my God. It's the JTT movie. What? The Jonathan Taylor Thomas movie? Where he. Oh, wait. It's, it's, It's him and it's Chevy Chase. And Chevy Chase is the stepdad. It's this exact thing. Oh, and he goes camping? And he goes and yeah and and JTT is like kind of an asshole kid who doesn't like Chevy Chase and yeah. then, but he's part of this like Indian club thing mm. and the dads all go out with the sons and all the sons it's but continue I yeah you're, I'm li- sure. you're living the life of JTT right well, in this of course movie. always I'm sure it's like wider this was in Texas of course I'm sure this is a wider thing than Texas but yeah so like. I remember it was like me and like my childhood best friend at the time. And like there were maybe 10 girls in my quote unquote tribe. So 
I don't even remember how often it was. Maybe it was once a month for a, a set period of time for like a season. We would go camping. Like we would go to local campgrounds and like all of the other tribes would be there from like across the state of Texas, maybe, or like the area. So it's like hundreds of girls and their dads um, all like camping together and bonding. And I'm sure there were like activities to do. And then it would like on maybe the Friday night, there would be like a big party where everybody would come and it was like a lot of people and you would sit around a fire and there would be like entertainment or jokes or whatever. Honey, it's and still a thing. Indian princesses are still a thing. Wow. Still a thing. Wow. So yeah, so we would go to these things. And then what I remember, like to me, like the thing that you were always leading up for is maybe it was the Sunday morning. So before everybody's about to leave, because it was probably like Friday night, Saturday night, leave on Sunday. Mm-hmm. On Sunday morning, every um, every time you, like one of these events would happen, there was uh, a like scavenger hunt event where all of the girls, just the girls in the tribes, would scavenger hunt for this Indian princess doll. I forget what she was called. But to find the doll meant that you got to keep the doll until the next event. And then you and your tribe were responsible for hiding the doll. And I remember one time I found it. Shut the front door. I found the doll. (gasps) And it was like to bring glory home to the Shoshone tribe. (laughs) (laughs) was really really something and I got to keep like I remember having her in like my childhood bedroom being so excited that I got to keep this doll oh my god so yeah it was just like a way for girls to bond with their dads and like you know that's so cute no no I mean like there was obviously recognition for the fact that we were you know uh using Native American heritage to identify ourselves right um and now as an adult, I'm like, well, that's definitely problematic. But um, but that's what it was. Like, that's. Wow. That's what, that's what we did. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah. So. Wow. That's. I definitely did not do that. Uh, I mean, that may have existed. But I, you know, having been raised by a single mom who was not sure. going to go camping. Sure. <laughs> right. Uh, was That was not on my radar. The movie that I was thinking of is called Man of the House. Man of the House. I highly suggest you watch that. It might bring back some trauma, but it's super it's super wow. cute. Wow, I'm actually very curious. Like it was such a it's part really of my good childhood and like such a part of like my bonding with my dad. Um you should that, watch like, it. It's going to make you I will. cry. <laughs> Probably. Probably. I mean, like again, it's I think the the sentiment is really lovely of like a yeah. child and a parent, you know, spending time together camping. I think all kids should camp. Like I grew up yeah. camping. We had a little camper and it was like a part of our families, how we spent time together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, again, I you know me, I always want to get kids out in nature. I think it's really mm-hmm. important, especially now. So I do have a lot of affection for those experiences, but like again, you know, I wish it wasn't. I wish it wasn't called Indian Princesses, so I don't have to yeah. like apologize for it. But it's you know, it's a bummer. It's a bummer that yeah, it couldn't just be like not that like the same right. thing. But you don't have to have the appropriation part of it. Like no, 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 no. <laughs> we could have just been like you know the blues or the greens. <laughs> like, just pick a color. Pick a pick. Could've a just called it been Father Daughter Weekend you know? or something. Or the yeah. Lion Tribe, like. Anyways, oh anywho. Uh, 
So that's Jimmy Carter's early years. <laughs> Mine and Jimmy Carter's early years. <laughs> so similar. They're so, so similar. similar. So similar. I, I too will become president of the United States, if you yeah. can believe it. I, President Stewart. So let's talk about how our dear beloved Jimmy Carter got to be president. So he's gone back. His father has died. He's gone back to take care of his family farm called the Carter Warehouse. He's married Rosalind Carter, and they're doing that together. Love. So when they do that, he quickly became a leader of the community, serving on county boards, supervising education, the hospital authority, and the library. In 1962, he won election to the Georgia Senate, but he lost his first gubernatorial campaign in 1966. However, he won the next election, becoming Georgia's 76th governor on January 12th, 1971. Hello. So in 10 years, he went... Yeah. In 10 years, he went from like, I'm going to serve on community boards to the governor of Georgia. To the governor of Georgia. Yeah. It is. He does the same. Like, in knowing what I know about his rise to the presidency, the word catapult does come to mind. It does does feel like he has catapulted into uh, federal service. Yes. So, as Carter watched the defeat of Democratic presidential candidate George McGovern in 1972, he knew he would have to market himself for the presidency as a different type of Democrat to have a shot at the White House in 76. I love that he's also not settling, because that's not how I, I, Mm. I think of Jimmy Carter as a very sweet, benevolent, like, kind of... Congenial. Congenial, like, you know, just like a good dad grandpa type yeah but i love that he's like i am not satisfied <laughs> i'm not satisfied <laughs> well he's ambitious i'm working these boards and he's got ambition yeah and that's amazing because i feel like that's yeah. not a tr- not an adjective that is often ascribed to jimmy carter right especially as a president i think when you think of yeah. jimmy carter as a president it's all about like the kind of bad or negative things or the things that he was ineffectual at. Right, right, right. But we're going to talk about, I mean, just this alone. And then we're going to talk about what he did do and the stuff he wanted to do, but wasn't successful at are, are like things that like, we're still, we have now or things that we're fighting for now or things that we like just consider to have always existed, but they came mm-hmm. from him. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing. So he was completely unknown on the national stage when he started to run for the presidency In the aftermath of Nixon's Watergate scandal, however, this became an advantage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's true, though. It's it's like if Bobby Kennedy wasn't assassinated, like how much our entire political uh, history could have been rewritten. It's the same thing with like if Watergate never happened. I don't think Jimmy Carter would have ever stood a chance. Because I think Nixon would have continued to thrive and then i think whoever the next president republican elect Mm -hmm. you know elect would have been probably would have decimated because nixon was popular yeah and the republican party had such a strong footing at that time yeah but because nixon you know catastrophically recorded everything it sort of (laughs) allowed this vacuum to open up to be like it's it's like a woodrow wilson you know, it it's yeah. like because like there was this weird vacuum that happened because of things like that had nothing to do with the candidate. Somebody was able to rise up and be like, yeah. now I'm president. Oh, 
So it also helped Carter that the disgraced Nixon and Vice President Spiro Agnew, who Lizzie was just talking about, were replaced on the Republican ticket by Gerald Ford, who was the opposite of Carter and a political insider with no charisma and an <laughs> uncanny knack for falling downstairs on camera. And a model, which is why he has no charisma. <laughs> right. He's just pretty. He's just but pretty. But apparently he can't walk downstairs. He can't walk the walk, literally. Nope. Can't walk any walk. So despite an ill-advised interview in Playboy magazine, which I do want to find. Oh my God. <laughs> ill-advised. Ill-advised. I now that is legendary. Legendary. And if somebody, d- I'm sure there have been candidates who have done it since because yeah. you've got to go to where the people are. And that's a specific demographic of people, men. Men. So despite this ill-advised interview in Playboy magazine, which plummeted his ratings in the polls, Carter squeaked out a narrow victory for the presidency. At the Democratic convention, he was nominated on the first ballot and chose Senator Walter F. Mondale of Minnesota as his running mate. Love. Carter campaigned hard against Gerald Ford, debating him three times and won 297 electoral votes to Ford's 241. It's a squeak, but it's a squeak. It's a squeak, but it, it got by. All you got to do a is squeak. A W is a W. That's right. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's talk about him as president. Let's get to let's get to kind of like the thing that I feel like on this show we never talk about. <laughs> No. It's like what he did as president. It's always post-presidency that we talk mm-hmm. about. But yeah. obviously he was president. And depending on who you ask, like when I tell my parents I love Jimmy Carter, they're like, why? Because yeah. they their like memories stop with him as president, you know? Right. And it's like, which is fair. I mean, it's like that's how a lot yeah. of people are. So yeah. let's talk about his presidency. So as far as domestic issues go, because of course we have domestic issues, Carter worked hard to combat the continuing economic woes of inflation and unemployment. By the end of his administration, he could claim an increase of nearly 8 million jobs and a decrease in the budget deficit measured in percentage of the the gross national product. Unfortunately, Inflation and interest rates were at a near record high, and efforts to reduce them caused a short recession. 
Carter could point to a number of achievements in domestic affairs. He dealt with the energy shortage by establishing a national energy policy and by decontrolling domestic petroleum prices to stimulate production. He prompted government efficiency through civil service reform and proceeded with deregulation of the trucking and airline industries. Interesting. Mm -hmm. He sought to improve the environment. His expansion of the national park system included protection of 103 million acres of Alaskan lands. To increase human and social services, he created the Department of Education. I know. We we don't talk about the fact that he's the creator of the Department of Education. He did amazing things. He did. He bolstered the social security system and appointed record numbers of women, African-Americans, and Hispanics to government jobs. Man of the people. Mm -hmm. But Carter's newcomer status soon showed itself in his inability to make deals with Congress. Sensing his shallow public support, Congress shot down key portions of his consumer protection bill. Carter was determined to free the nation from dependency on foreign oil by encouraging alternate energy sources and deregulating domestic oil pricing. But the creation of a pricing cartel by OPEC, the oil-producing country's organization, sent oil prices soaring, which caused rampant inflation, and a serious recession. Sure. We also just lived through that. Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, this is something that happens, you know, all the time, uh, all the time. But I think it's, you know, talk about having the finger on the pulse of the future when yes. it comes to like the Democratic platform. Because now what what do the Democrats talk about? Alternative energy sources, right. clean energy like that's right. that's become now a staple of the yeah. Democratic platform. And Obama and, did Obama passed the consumer protection bill and now there's a consumer protection agency like Carter was ahead of his time. Yeah. Yeah. Carter was also deeply troubled by public scandals involving his family including a mysterious $250,000 payment by the government of Libya to Carter's brother, Billy. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no, Billy, not corruption. I know. It must be I mean, who's to say? But yeah, you don't want Libya cutting a check to you. You don't want any foreign country cutting a check to you. No, that's to your brother when you're the president. When you're the president, like if you're going to be the president of the United States, you need to tell all of your family members. I don't care what country sends you a check. You do not take the money. No, until after I am done being president. Like new family (laughs) rule. No foreign money. No foreign money. So Carter was successful in some ways on domestic issues, unsuccessful in other ways. But he was, there were also foreign issues at play, which were equally troublesome. Critics thrashed Carter's plans to relinquish control of the Panama Canal and to his response to Soviet aggression in Afghanistan by pulling out of the Olympics and ending the sale of wheat to the Russians. His recognition of communist China, which expanded on Nixon's China policy and his negotiation of new arms control agreements with the Soviets were both criticized by conservatives in the Republican Party. I feel like that's par for the course. Sure. Par for the course. I do love, though, that his response to Soviet aggression was was to be like, you know what? 
No more wheat. No more wheat. No, I'm going no to hit him where it hurts. Wheat. Oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Go for the crops. But the most serious crisis of Carter's presidency involved Iran. We should do a whole separate episode on this because there's like a little blurb oh. about, about the Iranian hostage crisis. Yeah, that's an but episode. I, it's an episode because I don't understand. I, like, all I know is that they had Americans and Carter handled it poorly. Yeah. But that's all I know. We should do a whole episode. Let's do an episode. Maybe we will. So the most serious crisis of Carter's presidency involved Iran, the Iranian hostage crisis. When the Ayatollah Khomeini seized power in Iran, the U.S. offered sanctuary to the ailing Shah, angering the new Iranian government, which then encouraged student militias to storm the American embassy and take over 50 Americans hostage. Carter's ineffectual handling of the much-televised hostage crisis and the disastrous failed attempt to rescue them in 1980 doomed his presidency, even though he negotiated their release shortly before leaving office. Yeah. That's the other thing that's interesting about the Iranian hostage crisis is like, this is much like the Vietnam War, which of course was, you know, slightly before during this, it was televised. Right. The 24 hour news cycle didn't quite exist yet at this point, but like live coverage did. So in the past where something like this might have happened, we're like, all right, first, first try was a bust. We probably wouldn't have known about it. Right. But because it was being so heavily covered, it's the first time where you're seeing live, like, the government trying to make something happen. And the United States is never supposed to fail at anything, even though right. we have often All the time. and will continue right. to at many right. points. You Like, the narrative then was that the U.S., especially with a country like Iran, you know, which is not supposed to be able to stop the U.S. from doing anything... Because that's what we're, you know, raised to believe. Like, you're seeing it live that it's not working. And it makes you feel like this is all Jimmy Carter's fault. Even though I'm sure, and we'll do a whole episode on it, whatever the plan was that was busted was certainly not Jimmy Carter's plan. It was the military's plan. It's not like Jimmy Carter's like, okay, great. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go in. (laughs) Two guys on the left side, two guys on the right side, one guy (laughs) descending from the ceiling. (laughs) I want you to grab 50 people and a handful of popcorn shrimp and get out of there. Like, it's Jimmy Carter being like, sounds good, General. Let's try it. Let's try it. Right. But when you're the face of the company, you, you get the wrath of it, which I also get. You know, you have to take accountability for the mistakes of your armies and generals and all of that but it is interesting that it's like you ran for the position yeah i mean i think it's it's a it's a thing that works two ways where if you're the president of the united states you get all of the glory and all of the blame it's like how Mm -hmm. obama is the president that killed osama bin laden jimmy carter is the guy who fumbled the iranian hostage crisis when in fact both of them I mean, yes, had stuff to do with both of those scenarios. But at the end of the day, these are military operations that are being thought out, planned, heavily prepared by military experts. Right. And they are presenting it to the presidents and the presidents are saying, let's go. Let's go. And one was successful and one wasn't. Yeah. 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 But they both, you know, it, that's 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 why you're the president of the United States. You got to take you got to take you get to take the glory and you get to take the blame. It doesn't matter. You got to take matter. The, you get you get to take the W's. You got to take the L's. Yeah. 
So our sweet beloved Jimmy Carter, however, is positively remembered for the historic 1978 Camp David Accords, where he mediated an historic peace agreement between Israel's Menachem Begin and Egypt's Anwar Sadat. This vital summit revived a long dormant practice of presidential peacemaking, something every succeeding chief executive has emulated to varying degrees. Great. Yeah. So he was the first one to be like, this problem mm-hmm. needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. Let's sit down at a table mm-hmm. and talk things through. Mm-hmm. A diplomat, if there ever was one. It's his Mr. Gorbachev tear down yeah, that wall. this wall. Right. Mm-hmm. Nevertheless, because of perceived weaknesses as a domestic and foreign policy leader, and because of the poor performance of the economy, Carter was easily defeated by Republican Ronald Reagan in 1980. Sure. Sure. When the people see you as weak and then you have movie star Ronald Reagan coming up. A B star though he was. <laughs> it makes sense to me why Jimmy Carter was only a one term president. Mm-hmm. Like I completely see how the cards are stacked against him for a second term based right. on everything. You know? Yeah. Even though he seems to me to be like the like aside from Obama, maybe the most like altruistic. Sure. Like, or maybe not aside from Obama, but next to Obama, like the kind of one of the most like altruistic presidents, like people get in it for, you know, they run because, the, the, you know, they want to have power. They think they want to change. I mean, I've, and I guess yeah. it depends on your political persuasion, but yeah. it just seems like he was trying to do, he was forward thinking beyond mm-hmm. his time, had some hiccups. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's a gigantic job. I think that there are some presidents where history grows to love them and there are some presidents where history grows to be very critical of them and i think honestly an example of like jimmy carter i think history will only continue to grow to reflect positively on jimmy carter whereas if you like even his successor ronald reagan i think we're already seeing history start to become more and more critical of Ronald Reagan and like specifically economically, but like, you know, I, I, I think that's true of most presidents. Either history is going to only grow more positively with you or it's just going to get worse and worse. Right. As society goes forward, you know, because we're all looking back at Jimmy Carter with a modern lens. And right. I think we're seeing Jimmy Carter as being very modern, but back in the day, it wasn't modern. That, that like wasn't how people viewed him. It was mm, yeah. weak and a little all over the place and like, all right, slow your roll. <laughs> slow yeah. your roll, big guy. Yeah. But enough about the presidency, because that's not why we're here. We're here for the post-presidency Jimmy Carter, where he really started to shine. Jimmy Carter is the author of 32 books, many of which are now in revised editions. So if you thought Jimmy Carter was going to be sleeping on his post-presidency, you're out of your mind. He wrote 32 books. I can barely write a note. <laughs> <laughs> and James Earl Carter Jr. is over here writing 32 books. 32, 32 books. Book. That's like a book every other year. Right. In 1982, he became University Distinguished Professor at Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia, and founded the Carter Center. So this is like three years after he's, two years after he loses to Ronald Reagan. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to become a professor. He's like, I got to get to work. I'm going to create a foundation. Let's go. Yep. 
The nonpartisan and nonprofit Carter Center addresses national and international issues of public policy. Carter Center staff and associates have joined with President Carter in efforts to resolve conflict, promote democracy, protect human rights, and prevent disease and other afflictions. The center has spearheaded the international effort to eradicate guinea worm disease, which is poised to be the second human disease in history to be eradicated. Like, are you kidding me? He's out here being like, I'm going to get rid of a disease. Come at me. Mm -hmm. I don't care what you think of my presidency. You're welcome. Have you eradicated a disease? Have you eradicated anything? No. 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 President Carter and the Carter Center have engaged in conflict mediation and many inter- and intra-country conflicts, including North Korea in 1994, Bosnia in 1994, Venezuela in 2002 and 2003, Mali from 2018 to the present, the Middle East from 2003 to the present. He's all over the map. All over the map. Doing the work. Under his leadership, the Carter Center has sent 113 election observation missions to the Americas, Africa, and Asia, again to countries all over the world. The permanent facilities of the Carter Presidential Center were dedicated in October 1986 and include the Jimmy Carter Library and Museum, administered by the National Archives. Also open to visitors is the Jimmy Carter National Historic Park in Plains, Georgia, also administered by, you guessed it, the National Park Service. I love Jimmy Carter. I love Jimmy Carter. I want to wait. Go to what Plains, city Georgia. is the Carter Center or the Presidential Library in? Is it Atlanta? Oh, actually, look it up because that's not clear. Yeah, it's in Atlanta. Great. I want to know where Plains, Georgia, is in relation to Atlanta. Okay, it's two and a half hours directly south of Atlanta. Gotcha. Yeah, love it. Okay. So as Jimmy and his wife Rosalind Carter have gotten older, they continued to volunteer once a week at Habitat for Humanity until 2020. Habitat for Humanity is a nonprofit organization that helps needy people in the United States and other countries renovate and build homes for themselves. In 2020, he was, what, 95? Like, Yeah. <sighs> until he yeah. was 95 years old. He was building houses. He was building houses. Oh, my God. He also taught Sunday school and the Maranatha Baptist Church of Plains. The Carters have three sons, one daughter, Nine grandsons, three granddaughters, five great grandsons, and nine great granddaughters. That's a lot of babies. A lot of, lot of babies. A lot of babies. On December 10th, 2002, the Norwegian Nobel Committee awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for 2002 to Jimmy Carter for his, quote, decades of untiring effort to find peaceful solutions to international conflicts, to advance democracy and human rights, and to promote economic and social development. Hell yeah. Nobel Peace Prize recipient, recipient James Earl Carter Jr. Absolutely, if anyone deserves Absolutely. one, it's Absolutely. In. Absolutely. If, like if this isn't if this isn't what the Nobel Peace Prize is for, like I don't know what is. I don't know what is. I don't also, know. Also, the great companion episode to this episode <laughs> is our episode on the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> yeah. But like Lizzie said at the top, the whole reason we're talking about our beloved Jimmy Carter is that we are recording this while he is still with us although he is in home hospice care at the age of 98. We love him and we wish him well and li- and goes peacefully. Yep. 
This is a celebration of life mm-hmm. for James Earl Carter Jr., best friend of the show, first friend of the show, and will always be a friend of the show. We will always talk about Jimmy Carter because <laughs> he pops up when we least expect it. And yep. we'll all continue to pop up when we least expect it. So everybody pour one out for Jimmy Carter and but go buy his books. Go buy his books, learn a little bit about him, and go serve your community. Go serve your community. They're really good to read because they're like they're, you know, political in nature, but it's not like heavy duty and yeah. cumbersome. You know, they're like easily easy to read, easily accessible. They're good. Yeah. And with that, that is our episode. And as always, if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.